Motherhood is more than bearing children, though it is certainly that. It is the essence of who we are as women. Husbands, love and treasure your wives. They are your most precious possessions. Worthiness is achieved through obedience. He or she must become the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect father, the perfect mother, the perfect leader, and the perfect follower. Satan seeks to confuse us about our stewardships and distinctive natures as men and women. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Women of God can never be like women of the world. There are no homosexual members of the church. Women generally love to talk and gather. But let's do it in the right tongue with the right spirit. Fuck that. Fuck all that. This is No Man Knows My Herstory, a podcast about Mormonism with two queer ladies where we say whatever the fuck we want. Hi, Sister Kelsey. Hi, Sister Carrie. And hi, listeners. Welcome back to another week of No Man Knows My Herstory. The podcast where we're fucking amazing. In general, yeah. I'll totally go with it. Yep. The opening thought this week is from an Instagram post from user Genoa Harlow. And in part, it said, everyone who's interesting reinvented themselves after their world fell apart, just like you did. You said that to me. Thanks, Sister Kelsey. You're welcome. And just snaps for days. Indeed. Good news minute. Good news minute. Um, I'll go first this week. Cool. My good news minute is our uh, friend Meg sent us the coolest fucking embroidery thing. It's true. It is very cool. it made me laugh. Yeah. And I've been too depressed to text you and say, thanks, Meg. So here you go. Thanks, Meg. Meg, I love being quoted in the form of (laughs) embroidery art. So (laughs) thank you so much. It is amazing. I love it. Oh, my God. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Sister Carrie, what's your good news minute this week? Similarly whimsically, my good news minute this week is that dumbass Rabbids Mario game oh that we've been playing. Oh my god. <laughs> I've been having yes. a lot of feelings and a lot of, I've been spending a lot of time just introspecting about mostly my relationships with everyone and how they've been fucked up for as long as I've been alive, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you just can't do so much of that back-to-back, but it also doesn't leave you with energy for anything else, so it's been really <laughs> rad to just play this dumbass video game for sometimes I hours at a time. fucking co-signed, bitch. <laughs> like, my God, is it nice to have some weed and to just zone the fuck out and play yeah. video games. I maybe cry for no reason. I mean, a lot I mean, of reasons. I mean, a lot of reasons, but like... <laughs> Just sad, sad sobs. Yeah. And no, I feel that. It's kind of a chill <clears throat> video game. There's not... I don't like to play a lot of video games, A, because I just have not never played that many video games, so I constantly just feel incompetent somehow, because, you know, I have a ton of anxiety and shame, apparently. Yeah. But besides that, I often have anxiety while playing video games, because I'm just like, oh, shit, that guy's going to kill me, and this video game isn't like that at all. It's no. mostly... It's more like puzzles. Yeah. And my brain's been totally into that, and it's been great. Fantastic. There you go. Video games for the fucking win. For the win. <sighs> okay, that brings us to our main topic this week. Main topic. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Yum. <sighs> if only. If only. If only. And also that was obviously a vegan-themed yum. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I once worked for the aforementioned yum um, establishment. Mm-hmm. And, oh man, I've got some stories. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, our main topic this week is the idea of enduring to the end and how it fucked us up. I just want to crush Mormonism for having instilled such a sense of, like, direness and just, like, commitment to misery 
And uh. me, like, when you suggested this topic, Sister Carrie, I was like, yes. Yeah. Yes, and... Yeah. So, recently I've been, and I know you have been too, Sister Kelsey, I've been in therapy just kind of facing up to the fact that I have a lot of issues Ooh, in girl. myriad areas of my life. And I think that one of the things that I've been becoming more aware of is that this depression that I've been stuck in now for, I don't know, decades, Ever. <laughs> but it's been especially bad for the past few years where it just basically drives my life around and is really, really stingy with the amounts of like any kind of enjoyment I can have. Yes. I've basically been realizing slowly that I built this depression mansion myself because this is how I was taught to approach life because I come from a family that doesn't believe in any joy, but that is largely impacted by the Mormon church, da, by da, da, these da. types of beliefs. So this is why I was thinking about it. But anyway, I wanted to first talk about what this idea is in LDS theology. Cool. It's really one of like the central kind of ideas. I'm sorry, Sister Carrie. Uh -huh. Didn't you just mean to say in the Mormondy Church of Mormondy Mormons book of theologies? I'm so sorry. That's exactly what I meant to say. <laughs> I needed to put more Mormon accountability buddy check. <laughs> yes. Thank you for being my accountability buddy. I got you, boo. Yes, I Carry absolutely on. meant the Mormondy Mormon saints of fucking Mormons. <laughs> their theology on this idea of enjoying You were the end. almost polite. I was. Good it's, God, woman. It's my setting. Watch your tone. <laughs> that kind of polite bullshittery will not be allowed around here. <laughs> oh, man. I better... Oh, I, better. I like us. <sighs> Me too. Okay. Co-signed. Okay. Anyway, on. carrying on. So, first of all, there are just scriptures about this thing that are quoted a lot in Mormonism, and I wanted to just bring up several of them. So, a couple of them are from the New Testament. Of course, you had Paul in 2 Timothy, or as, you know, then-candidate, <laughs> yeah, as then-candidate Donald Trump would have said to Timothy, uh, Paul in 2 Timothy 4-7 who I'm actually going to read 4, 6 and 4, 7 for you theologians at home. But he said, for I am now ready to be offered and the time for my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Oh my God. Kept the faith and drew to the end. Yeah. Because the idea is like he's dying. Right. And after he had that great big turnaround, he was a super great warrior for Jesus or some bullshit. Yes. And then he was like, I have finished the race or whatever bullshit it is that he said. And Mormons love to quote that at each other because no matter what, you just, you have to endure to the end. You have to finish your course so that yes. at the end, when you die, you can get there and be like, hey, God, I finished the course. And God can be like, you're a cool dude. Thumbs up. I did all that I could do. Yeah. I literally put my head down and like put my shoulder to the wheel. Yep. All these other catchphrases. Yep. And just. Just got there. Just trudged my way through fucking life. Yep. Another one that they often quote is from Jesus in Matthew 10, 22. Jesus, where, Teddy fucking Christ. <laughs> exactly. Where Jesus says, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Oh, yes. So Mormons, you're doing a good job if people are saying naughty th or like bad things about you. If they're saying, hey, you're being awfully pushy with this church stuff, they're like, hey, I'm doing a good job because that's what Jesus said would happen. Even though that's really just feedback from another human, but you are... Confirmation bias. Yeah, but you're a cultist, so you Oh my God. Tell. And you know what? Cultists are gonna, they're gonna cult and they're gonna cult real hard. Real hard. It's all they can do. Hashtag cult life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that we're not there anymore. Uh, oh, another amen. one is in 3rd Nephi 27.6. 
which is, and whoso taketh upon my name and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved at the last day. I'm having so many Mormon flashbacks right I know. now hearing is, these scriptures. Oh, Is this taking you back? It's taking me back. And the last one I specifically wanted to mention was Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, verse 20. Nevertheless, he that endureth in faith and doeth my will, the same shall overcome and shall receive an inheritance upon the earth when the day of transfiguration shall come. So that's kind of the same. I feel like Mormons co-opt the vaguely general Christian idea of like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Mm -hmm. And then they wrap it into this idea of, but you have to endure to the end and then you'll get a reward. So even if you're like living on welfare, but still paying your 10% to the Mormon church and Mm -hmm. your entire life is a mess and you have all this trauma and the church isn't really helping you with any of that. And they're just shaming you for like whatever behaviors it is that you're doing. And they really just make your life a living hell. doesn't matter because in the next life, it's going to be fine. It's like medieval England and telling the serfs, like, it's cool that you're slaves now and the next life you're going to inherit everything. Didn't you hear Jesus? Exactly. Or like when they do the same thing in Mormonism for benevolent sexism and, and they tell women, it's okay that you're a second class citizen in this particular life and that yeah. all these things about our current structure make you uncomfortable and yeah there's the potential that one day you're going to have to share your partner with somebody else yeah like etc 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 because in the next life in the next life it'll all be cool it's all yes. gonna be worked out somehow it, like mormonism drills into you this idea of this current life does not matter Mm-mm. which is at constant odds with secular society particularly like with the idea of atheism Mm -hmm. for a lot of us who leave Mormonism and then no longer believe anything happens after you die because we understand based on like science, what basically consciousness can be as far as like, you got to have a brain that's lighting off like neurons and you have to have receptors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And once that shit's all turned off, like you're gone. Yeah. When that brain activity is gone, so are you. That makes you, that is you. Goodbye. It's, it's a different way of looking at things, I guess. And it's a total mind fuck. It is. (laughs) It very much is. And Mormons, those fucking fuckwits love to also tie this idea of i'm feeling really like actively angry about no girl you should be because it fucked your shit up no like seriously i think it's one of my like central things like it really helped feed into this really malignant core of perfectionism and shame and judgment that has driven judgment of myself only that has driven my entire fucking life okay but think of like in the mormon experience the the role models that you are supposed to look up to mm-hmm. are people like the pioneers. Exactly. People like Job. Yep. Any person who has basically given up their life and their mm-hmm. everything in um, sacrifice, like in service of the church or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Even if that means that your life is a living fucking hell. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you're yeah. doing the exact right thing as you were... Um, told to do by God's prophet on the earth, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yes. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Like, yes. Yeah. And to bring it back to like Mormon theology, exactly. They, they love to tie this imagery back, especially to the pioneers. And like you said, put your shoulders to the wheel. There's all of this kind of imagery around pioneers of like just getting the shit done. And it doesn't matter what you have to do. They love to tell that story, which turned out to not even be true about the boys walking the members of the Willie or Martin handcart company back and forth across the frozen river and dying and being sent straight (laughs) to heaven and Brigham Young, like bragging on them and being like, but it's cool because they went straight to heaven because they made this sacrifice as if the fact that they 
would have like slowly died a frostbite in excruciating pain Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. And the fact that their lives up until then was misery didn't matter. And that some of the people that they rescued were going to have to have their toes sawn off in the blacksmith shop. That didn't matter because they were going to get to live happy lives around the saints with their little foot stubs that they could still walk on, which I happen to know. Because the Mormon church loves this kind of imagery, right? They really fucking do. And so it leaves you with the impression that it doesn't matter at all what you have to go through because you just kind of have to get through it. I also wanted to just mention that this is still something that's super alive in the Mormon church to this day. There was a whole talk about it in the April 2018 General Conference, which was given by Elder Claudio D. Zivic of the 70. And there's also a talk on this subject that was given by L. Tom Perry back in 2008, which is all over the LDS website when you just Google Endure to the End. And it gives, like, step-by-steps on how to endure by endure to the end. Oh, let me guess. Is it pray, read your scriptures, do regular temple attendance, and I don't know. I mean, basically. Oh, yeah. So, basically, what they're saying is do all the busy work, mm-hmm. all the hashtag cult life work. Exactly. So that you can just continually be busy in the drudgery of exactly. all this meaningless bullshit. Exactly. And then just suffer through life because next time's going to be better. Yeah. Sister Kelsey, yeah. it's almost like you've caught on to the patterns behind this terrible cult because that's exactly what it says so i've learned some fucking (laughs) lessons he lists some (laughs) some steps and then i'm going to read you the last step because that's exactly what he says so it says first it requires the savior's redemptive power and then he goes on about that and the second is that enduring to the end requires the holy ghost third we must be an integral part of the community of saints so you have to be like actively participating and then here's where it gets fun under the fourth heading it says we must strive to obey all the commandments and Pay close attention to those that are hardest for us to keep. The Lord will be at our side, helping us in times of need and weakness. And if we demonstrate a sincere desire and act accordingly, he will make weak things become strong. Obedience will give us the strength to overcome sin. We must also understand the trial of our faith requires us to obey, often without knowing the results. And then elsewhere, he talks specifically about how doing things like fasting, keeping the commandments, praying, going to the temple, keep us focused on our commitments and on enduring to the end. But really what that means is if you're engaged in hashtag cult life and putting all your energy there, there, then you're going to be too distracted by it to do anything else. And Busy then you'll do a work. better job about staying in the cult until you die, even though it's nothing but misery. Busy work. Busy work. Busy work. To distract Busy you from the misery. Work. Busy work. Because you will be miserable. You will because be. Because anybody um, shaping their lives around Mormon ideals is fucking miserable. Yeah. Because it's exhausting. It is. And there's not a payoff. And you twist yourself into tiny little knots mm-hmm. going in circles round and round and round forever. Yep. And that w- that's the experience of Mormonism. Yep. <laughs> so my parents, I don't think my parents would have picked the life that they have. I don't really know very much about my parents really because they're not, we don't really have a personal relationship, I guess, which I understand sounds crazy to say, but... I mean, here's the thing. I don't have a personal relationship with my family. I told my parents to never speak to me again. And I have intermittent contact with both of my brothers, but not my sister. Yeah. So there you go. So there you go. But like my parents and I have never really had so much of a personal relationship. I don't know things like how they feel about things or really what their childhoods were like or anything like that. But I know that my parents very much... I don't think that my parents would have picked the lives that they have now if they would have felt like they actually had choices instead of feeling like 
well, what is done is when you reach a certain age, a man goes on a mission and they come back and they get married and they have a certain number of kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, four to eight. My parents settled right on six, you know, and then they make sure that all their kids go to college and the boys go on missions and the girls get married mm-hmm. and then repeat the cycle ad nauseum and exactly. everyone's doing the same fucking hashtag cult yeah. life busy work. And, oh my God. And you know, the mom stays at home and raises the kids and the dad has to get a job that's a certain level of prestigious so that he can afford to fund all these many of children. Right. And the fact that it will be a single income household, you know, and so they very much lived by these rules. And my dad would talk about sometimes when I, when I would try to talk about the fact that I was depressed, like when I was in college or whatever, his reaction to that was to say, well, nobody wants to do X. Nobody wants to go to work. Nobody wants to, I would talk about having to go to like family functions or whatever. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody, you know, but you just have to wake up in the morning and make yourself do it. Like the, the attitude that I was very like bootstrapsy, but also he's very clearly acknowledging that people are meant to be miserable. Yeah. Because it's obvious to him, of course you're fucking depressed. This is just bullshit. Because it's all bullshit. We yeah. all fucking hate it, but we all have to do it. We have to do it. So bootstrap your way yeah. into functioning exactly. and get with it. To get through this test and move on to the goodness after. Like, this is completely meaningless, right. so it's okay that it sucks. And... It, it's almost like it hasn't even occurred to him that he could have picked something else. It's that he had to do this because this is what is done. And so that, of course, led to him making choices that weren't the best for anybody. Like, okay, but what you just said, it didn't occur to him that he could have done anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, the brain prison that you put yourself in, in mm-hmm. Mormonism, is that you don't have any choices. Yeah. Because what happens in Mormonism is you are given a prescribed answer that you then have to find when you ask the question, mm-hmm. but is this the right thing to do? Or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Is yeah. this the true church? Should I be making this life decision, etc.? Mm-hmm. But you know there's a prescribed answer. And, and you, you have to get the answer. have to get that answer. Yeah. Because the church is true. Because they tell you that the church is true. And if you pray, you will get confirmation that the church is true. And you know that because of Moroni's promise, which yep. tells you that you will get... Like, it's circular reasoning all the way through the whole way down the whole way down but especially especially in this yeah yeah like yeah and the value is placed on just making it through the fucking thing exactly you know just putting your head down Mm -hmm. and just fucking making it because if you just fucking get there then you get everything and it's a no-brainer get up read your scriptures Pray more, make sure that you're, I don't know, put yourself on some kind of schedule and definitely get a bunch of like checkbox things. Yeah. Like going to the temple, reading your scriptures. Making freezer jam for your neighbors. Yeah. Definitely doing service because when people are having a hard time in their life, you know what you should do? Serve other people. Thereby removing yourself from yourself even fucking more. Mm -hmm. I... I, oh my God, you guys, like I've been in fairly intensive treatment for over a year now and I'm getting into this space where I'm, I'm just, I'm finally now getting enough perspective to see just how fucked up the structures in my brain have been or were or continue to be depending on, you know, what's going on at the time. Yes. I just slowly went into myself and dismantled myself and built parallel structures based on what I was told to do, but all of that was at the expense of myself. I removed myself completely 
because that is what the ideal is. The ideal is not you. It's yeah, not you. It's not you. The ideal is to build yourself in, you know, in the yeah. perfect to build yourself in the image of even Jesus Christ himself. That's it. Like you are literally trying to become yeah. the savior yeah. because you are just trying to be good enough, get as close to him as you possibly can. Yeah. And he is our perfect exemplar yeah. slash example. If you just speak normal human language instead of douchebag. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And the more miserable you are because the more you've given up it's a good sign. It's a good yes. thing. That's sacrifice. That's a positive. Well, and it also demonstrates, you know, that um, story they tell where uh, a man is walking down a road and you can see that he is like surrounded by like devils or demons mm -hmm. or like minions and Satan trying to tempt him. Mm -hmm. And like somebody sees this and says, well, what a wicked man and the angel or whatever next to him, the wise person says, no, you can tell that that person is a godly person because it takes that many yeah. of Satan's minions to tempt them. And then like vice yeah. versa, they see a person walking down the street and that person has only like one or two. And the first person's like, Oh wow, what a righteous person. And then yeah. the wiser person is just like, no dipshit. Yeah. Um, it only takes one or two of Satan's minions to tempt that cocksucker. Yeah. You no, know, I don't remember the language. Yeah. It's my, I'm really, really rusty on my Bible. Yeah. So, <laughs> Cocksucker. <laughs> it could have said cocksucker in there. Oh Why the God. fuck not? There's a lot of other shit in there. Kelsey, I I've just... Murder. I've, I've just had an idea. What's your idea? We should make, like, an atheist's grouchy new interpretation of the Bible. Sold. Okay, done. We saw Genesis 1. I'm grouchy. I'm an atheist. And I, I've read the Bible too many times, so I yeah. love making fun of it. Sweet. So... We'll do it up in new translation form. This will happen someday. Someday. <laughs> we'll put it on the when we're not super depressed list. Yes, yeah, whenever the depression allows. <laughs> when the depression lifts. Whenever the depression allows. But I've oh, been God. looking backwards at, I've been in treatment for a long time mm -hmm. on and off. And I was, I've been looking backwards to what it used to be that I thought I was going to get out of therapy right. versus what has ended up helping. And basically, I mean, I've been building up these structures for a long time. I was no longer humaning the way that my peers were humaning well before I reached school. Right. You know, I've been fucked up a long minute and just getting kind of progressively progressively fucked up as time's gone on your parents actively fucked you up and you were raised in a cult so this makes sense and i like ran full force into that cult like yes, arms open i was like yes and because that's what you were taught to do yeah good job and that exactly <laughs> and so i fucking did it i did it so by the time i got to therapy i was falling apart like i was a mess yeah i had been planning my own death for years and years and years i was super codependent and i was not functioning anymore but I didn't think the problem was my terrible quality of life or the fact that I hated myself or I had rules for literally everything or any of that. I thought the problem was that I was too much of a wimp to keep going. Yep. I thought that the problem was that my tips and tricks, aka berating myself, torturing myself and just generally making myself feel like a bad person, the fact that those had ceased being able to push me into action, I thought that was the problem. And I went in there going like, hey, I can't make it to class. What the fuck do I need to tell my dumbass so that I can get to class? You know? Because I can't like not get an A in this in all my classes. Yeah, the brow you know? beating—it's not working. Exactly. I've officially, fully just 
obliterated myself. Yep. Only I hadn't quite. I still had some Not ability. Quite. You still had some left to go. But don't but you worry. were close. I'm done now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. And really, that's what pushed me to this final terrible crisis that almost got me is that I no longer had any leverage with myself because I had so fully tortured myself. I no longer had any leverage to try to make myself do anything or to inspire any kind of movement. And so I've basically laid down for two years waiting for myself and also working really hard, right? But waiting for myself to acquire the energy to go back to anything like normal life. I feel that so deeply what yeah. you just described. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've just... I finally, like, PTSD'd myself into a wall. Yep. And I've just been slowly scraping myself off the floor. Yep. And you know what's actually helped? Really slowly teaching myself that I promise not to call myself names, no matter what happens, mm -hmm. but especially not in response to dumb everyday shit. You know what else happens? Not making, or what else helps? Not making myself calm down before I take care of myself. I used to spend so much time berating myself because I could not calm down enough to go eat something. And instead, in therapy, I've learned to just go fucking eat something. But even that was conditioned out of me because I had this idea of you have to maintain and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and there's no excuse to stop going. Yes. And all of that's bullshit. That's bullshit. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's cultist behavior. Mm -hmm. And if you have a predisposition for compulsions and or if you grew up in an abusive mindfuck of a cult with an abusive ass family mm -hmm. it's gonna be problematic for you you're gonna have problems you're gonna have problems speaking of problems i thought we could just discuss several specific ones oh i love it let's do it okay great the first specific implication for mental health that i thought of because of this fun thing is just guilt and shame because they basically give you this implication that like perfect endurance is not only possible, but it's completely achievable and within your control. Yes. It's a choice that you can actively make. This is something that is, oh my God, the, the achievableness like you. Okay. Here's the thing. You acknowledge as a Mormon that you will never reach the level of perfection of Jesus Christ in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like you have to acknowledge that because only Jesus was perfect enough to be perfect by himself. Right. How fucking, fucking ever. You can get so goddamn close that the only thing standing between you and Jesus is his magic wand of resurrection. Yeah. Like, this is really and truly, Mormons are Calvinists to their, like, they are deep black hole just souls. Mm -hmm. Because they really and truly believe that you can work yourself right into a state of near perfection, at least in some areas. Yeah. Some of us really embrace that and it's super disordered. Well, it's because they give you this weird thing where, like you were saying, on one hand, they acknowledge that none of us could be perfect in this life. Only Jesus could do it. No. But at the other hand, it's presented to you that everything is a choice that you can actively make. And that there's an accounting. Yeah. And a perfect so, accounting. And you are responsible for all of it. And there's so not room left. The idea is you want to get basically... Thing, I always thought of like this life as sort of um, like an entrance exam similar to maybe like the SAT or the ACT or some mm -hmm. kind of like college entrance thing where basically we are being evaluated on how we perform during this life. And then the deficit, so whatever you 
miss Mm -hmm. those answers between the perfect score and what you got, you are going to have to, in spirit, um, prison or, you know what I mean? You have to pay that off somehow through some kind of repentance process, etc. Like, Mm -hmm. Christ... Christ's atonement comes through, but, like, you still have to pay for those fucking sins. So, like, there's going to be a period of that, and I can promise you, you don't want that. I think back to, like, Alma the Younger in particular. The state of being where he was in basically spirit limbo and, like, feeling the weight of his sins. Mm -hmm. I thought that's what it was. That's what we would basically be doing. Yeah. Is as... All of the times that I'm not perfect, all of those dings, mm-hmm. etc. I'm going to have to like feel the the true weight, like mm-hmm. sans savior, like what Jesus Christ was feeling. Yeah. Because like that's the only way that I can make this up because he has he's paid the atonement, but like I have to do this other thing. Yeah. Because they totally teach you this thing. They do teach you this thing. Which is why they're not really Christians. Yeah. And so, like, the fear of whatever that period of time was, Mm -hmm. like, however not perfect I was, I was so fucking afraid Mm -hmm. of that thing that I was highly motivated to get do a very good job in this life. And I did it compulsively. Bless me. Bless you. You did an excellent job. I did it. I was scrupulous as shit. Oh, (laughs) scrupulosity is so bad for you. We. It's so toxic. So super fucking toxic. So toxic. But I believe so many young Mormons are, and adult Mormons, obviously. But, like, I I remember a lot of the conversations I would have with my peers about, like, the different weird interpretations they were we're having about what the millennium was going to consist of and etc 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 no totally i believed in there being they talk about jesus being the truth and the light and mm-hmm. the way and it is straight meaning narrow i thought he like, was like the god particle but somehow personified yeah but like i really believed in a perfect path yes like one and trying to find the perfect path. Not like every person has a good path or mm-hmm. every person has their own path. No, there is a path and you best get your ass on it. And they, they, oh, like, like the black and white thinking yeah. that is part of Mormonism, I think, is something, I don't know, maybe a, a lot of other Christians don't appreciate or... I don't know. Christians in general are shit about this, but I think a lot of the world can't see exactly how black and white Mormonism can be. Mm-hmm. And there are some who s- exist in there s- with like gray areas, but yeah. for a lot of us, that's not true. That's not what we were taught. That's not our lived experiences because yeah. what you're saying about like the one true path. Yeah. Oh my God. Like that's yeah. exactly it though. And there is no ambiguity. There no. is no, you don't have choices. It goes back to that feeling of trapped because you have to get the right answer. And in order yeah. to get the right answer, you have to do these things that the church tells you to do because they tell you that you will get the right answer if you do all those things. Yeah. And so you're going to keep doing all those things until you get the right answer. You and have just to get the answer. Circular and circular round yep. and round and round. Yep. No, I was also a very scrupulous person that was completely and totally like, in an OCD way, just, like, completely overtaken with obsessions and compulsions of, that had to do with scrupulosity. And to me, that extended, of course, because Mormons tell you this extends into your own feelings and thoughts. Because when I say there's one perfect path, I mean one. That means that if something happens to you, there's only one emotional reaction you get to have. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you are not doing it right. And it's bliss. If, yeah, or, <laughs> or <something>. you know, <laughs> gratitude or just something. Shame. Something. 
I mean, that's really what it all boils down <sighs> to. I really can have a shame survey says to shame. literally any stimulus because it's just so programmed in there. But as far as like feeling like my emotions and thoughts had to be perfect or whatever, you know, if a thought pops into my head as a super active LDS person that is not completely charitable or it's angry or it's self-serving or it's whiny, then I feel like I've done something wrong. I feel like I've sinned. I feel like, okay, now I have to keep really close watch over my thoughts. You're layman and Lemuel. Yeah. Which then puts me into a very compulsive space where I am monitoring my thoughts and like carefully categorizing them and making sure that I don't go any down any paths that could lead to something bad. Whereas, you know, it actually has been helpful to me in this thing going like, oh, whoa, I'm feeling angry and just letting it go. Mm -hmm. That's what feelings are just supposed to be data. They're supposed to pass. Mm -hmm. And instead, what Mormonism teaches you to do is to hunker down because your entire salvation depends on those puppies and them being right. And so you need to control that shit. Because literally there is going to be an accounting. And that includes, ladies and gentlemen, your thoughts. Because in Mormonism, lust is a sin. And that includes just only the chemicals happening in your brain and in your body. And so you are literally responsible for all of your physiological and, you know, thought firing responses. Good fucking luck, friends. Feelings are never under our conscious control. Neither are our thoughts. No, it's insane. And so if you have, say, intrusive violent imagery, Mm -hmm. maybe graphic imagery, maybe intrusive thoughts of sexual content, Mm -hmm. any of these things or just like normal life experiences of like experiencing those things in a, you know quote, normal range within the bell curve is what I mean. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Like you can't, that's not a possible, no human can control their thoughts. No. No human. And you just feel like fucking shit when you cannot get that under control. And you are singing all the hymns in your head and you are doing all the right things. You are spending probably hours without food fasting. I can't tell you how much my childhood I spent hungry because fasting. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. You can do a lot of things with this. Yeah. I think that part of the reason that I spend so much time dissociating now is because I spent so much time monitoring my thoughts as a small child and then like a child and a teen and an adult. Mm -hmm. Because I've spent so much time just completely not just overwhelmed or obsessed by what's going on in my brain, but leaning into it because I thought that that's what was required. Right. Like walking around completely disconnected from what's happening on the outside on like really good autopilot so that I can be consumed by controlling what's going on on the inside, which just makes you crazy. Absolutely. Because (laughs) you're trying to control uncontrollable shit and you're internalizing it when it's not working. No. And and that's not the reality of what's happening. The reality of what's happening is that we are... Uh, sacks of meat with really complicated computers running us. Yeah. With nor- like just neurons firing and those creative hormones just shooting and hormones just pumping through your body. You're responding to all kinds of stimuli that has been like literally programmed into you based on the lived experiences of your ancestors. So like shit's going to get wonky. And yeah, sometimes you're going to be thinking about just breasts mm-hmm. nonstop. Yeah. Because that's normal content. Yeah. And instead of feeling intense 
deep shame and constantly panic level of mm-hmm. anxiety trying to do anything else to fill your head up with literally anything, anything else. else because the longer you sit in this state the more that ledger is going down in the bad column mm-hmm. and that's adding to your like quantity of shit you're gonna have to repent for mm-hmm. either take care of it in this life or you're gonna deal with it in the next yeah and so like Yeah. I'm feeling anxious just describing this process. Yeah, it's awful. And then, of course, it also harms your relationships because anything that you're ashamed of and you feel like you can't discuss with other people, that just, that kills relationships. Which is everything. I feel ashamed of everything and I can't have real relationships with other people because I feel ashamed of everything. And so I have to hide everything. I literally can't post shit on social media. Like, this is a thing that I'm actively working on. Yeah. Yeah, no, But, like, I have shame for literally anything I do. Yeah, literally anything. Like, people could react to me with nothing but positive reactions, and my immediate response will be shame. Yeah. Like, it just, it it goes. Because what if it's fake? Yeah. And what if they're just saying that to make you feel better? Oh, my God, I could just, like, go Or not even for a conscious reason, just because that's how I've taught myself. That is how I make myself self-safe, is I assume everything is my fault, Mm -hmm. and I... Something's wrong, figure out how to fix it now. Exactly. And the best way to motivate yourself to do that quickly is to make yourself feel ashamed because that is a real potent motivator yeah and so i've learned this cycle unfortunately and i have to teach myself to not do it or to do it in a different way every time something like this happens which is oh all the fucking time and it also has like i don't talk to anyone except for you really right now like Mm -hmm. i i can't do social media right now i can't it's just it fucks things up it fucks things up it fucks things up anyway the next specific thing that i thought of that, you know, this kind of concept of enduring to the end could fuck up your mental health mm-hmm. is depression because Ooh. struggling is a virtue. Being Feeling like shit is a virtue. And the goal isn't to try to improve that for yourself. The goal is to reach perfection at all costs. Yes. And you accept that and you lean into it because also people who are miserable are generally doing a good job. Jesus Be- said. Because Mormons are Calvinists and they believe that their works mm-hmm. will uh, build them up blessings. And if you are working harder, it means that you are getting more blessings and you're being more righteous. And even if that means that your state of actual being is misery, you were working your ass off doing all these little tedious things that the church asks of you. And so, you know, it reminds me of that picture that you showed me on your phone of, um, a post where a young woman is pictured looking at her phone and she's a completely like neutral leaning negative look on her face like she looks bored and just like sort of vaguely like you know vacant as mm-hmm. kids are when they stare at any of us or like yeah. when we stare at screens yeah and the caption below describing that person being like the joy of being able to take notes during the specific church meeting in their new phone yeah like capturing this joy and like you showed me this picture and i was like she just looks like a bored fucking teenager on her phone. Yeah. Like, but, totally she does. But you have to make it look like joy. You mm-hmm. say it's joy. And so it is. And so it is. Yeah. But you're all fucking miserable. Yeah. I used to have literal, like, legitimate fantasies about deep asceticism. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wanted to lean so hard into the idea that I should give myself nothing. I should have nothing. Mm-hmm. I should only give. I should never do anything for my own happiness. I should be as miserable as possible. Like, when I read about Jainism oh my God. and Jain monks, I told literally probably everyone I know about Jain monks because I was so, like, transfixed by the idea of 
so Jainism is a, it's like a Hinduism offshoot kind of religion. And the monks in this religion, they sweep the path before them so they don't harm any bugs. They wear masks so that they don't kill an indecent number of microbes by inviting them into their bodies to be killed by their immune systems, basically. They don't eat anything except for other people's vegetarian leftovers so if they were like walking through the countryside and there's an apple tree and they'd drop some apples on the ground they wouldn't even pick up those fucking apples to eat because that's how much they don't want to do damage to anything around them and i was just so not just not do damage but like literally not leave a mark yeah not leave a single mark and so what they do is they wander through you know towns and adherence to their religions who much like mormons by the way are some of the more affluent members of their communities because they're taught that they need to be affluent so they can support these monks Mm -hmm. etc and give large donations and other things that Jains do they which they actually give donations it's not like making a donation to the church of scientology or something they're actually or mormonism where it just goes to building more mormon buildings and more mormon missionaries and more mormon mormoning and no actual charity work are you hearing me people jesus fucking jesus fucking christ but jane's actually make like large donations to poor people in their community and stuff like that but they'll wander through villages or towns or whatever and their adherents will bring them in and give them the leftovers from their own dinner and that's literally all they eat they eat the leftovers from a, a different family's meal once a day and you can tell that i really cared about this because i remember all these fucking details because these are the values that mormonism and being raised in my specific family left me with and so it makes perfect fucking sense why as a 30 year old person i I literally struggle to find joy in anything ever because I stripped the joy and my own enjoyment as a value out of every part of my life. Just scrubbed it right out. Just scrubbed it right out because I thought that that's what was required of me to be a good person and to do this thing enduring to the end. And so now I'm just a completely, I don't, it took me this long to figure out what the word like means. Yes. You know, like the the hallmark of like one of the symptoms of depression is like losing interest in activities that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. But like if you don't enjoy any activities, what is even that thing? What does that even mean? What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Like you're just perpetually existing in a depressed state because literally you don't like anything. Yeah. And you've gotten to this place where you are now bottomed out and you can't make yourself do it anymore. And so that makes the future look like an incredibly dire place because Mm -hmm. you're, you're having to, in order to sustain what you're doing, you're having to do it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute sometimes. And it gets really fucking hard to imagine a future. And so that lends itself to hopelessness, which is also one of the hallmarks of depression. We, you also, your mood is going to be shit. That's a hallmark of depression. Shit. You know, check, check, check. Down, down, down the list we go. I'm an expert in depression, basically. And Mormonism just lends itself to it. Yeah. If you have a certain constitution. Really just snugs right in there with like, yeah, let's be just like hopeless and miserable. And just like really feel the pain of life. Good God, I spent so much time doing that. And now I can't get it out. I know. Now that I'm like, (laughs) oh, wait a second. That doesn't have to be my entire life. Mm -mm. I can value other things. My brain's like, well, we're doing this now. Remember aestheticism? We liked that. We liked that. And I'm like, bitch, no. 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 Stop. No. No. Not healthy. Not healthy. No. Not not how apes were meant to be. No. 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 Enough. Just stop it. Anyway. So the next thing, which both of us can experience at various times in our life, is identity disturbance. What? Because... 
this idea of enduring to the end means that you don't really get to be anything other than Jesus City fucking Christ. Yeah, a meat sack who was sent here to just be perfect all its life, no matter what the costs are, mm -hmm. and to reach the finish line. And so anything else other than living a perfect Mormon life is at best wasteful and at worst evil. Mm -hmm. Because if you were really good, then you'd be totally invested in this Mormon thing. Yes. So who cares if you identify as anything, literally anything else, it doesn't matter. Anything secular is pointless. Yeah. Your one true identity should be child of God and trying, whoever the person is that Jesus H. Christ is. Yeah. That guy. That guy. I'm that guy. Yeah. So here's a story about this. I had already left Mormonism maybe a year before or two years before and... Kelsey and I had been volunteering at the Utah Pride Center and someone there was like, oh, Andrea Gibson's coming to the University of Utah. Are you going to go? And we were like, Andrea who? And this person was like, no, you need to go. Learn your shit. Go listen to Andrea. And yeah, we because like, both okay. of us were more freshly out. Like we hadn't been involved in so much in the community. We didn't no. really know what was going on. And I forget what was happening, but you couldn't go that night. And so I went by myself and I drove up to the University of Utah. Oh, I was with my abusive husband. Is that what was happening? Probably. I wish I would have rescued you. Um, uh, in every way. Amen on so many <laughs> levels. So many levels. I yeah. was either sick, like legitimately ill, and or my abusive husband did something to convince me to not go out with my friends. Yeah. This happened a lot. I'm so sorry. Continue. I wish I would have just driven down to Spanish Fork and been like, get in the car, bitch. So I went up to the University of Utah by myself, and I watched Andrea Gibson, and... I basically sobbed through the entire thing, which at the time was a very strange behavior for me to have and very rare. I, you know, I, I was very far from my feelings at the time on purpose and I forget why I think that my brother, my brother, who's like nine years older than me, I think that he had called me before and left a voicemail. And so I called him back on my way home. Cause you know, sometimes how after you have like a nice experience, mm -hmm. you just want to like share it with someone. You just want to talk about it and process it because like, it was a really big moment for you. A thing. You a just thing. went through a thing. A thing because it Time was... Time to connect with another ape about it. Yeah. I often promise people when they first come out of the closet that they're going to have a moment when they're going to be in a room full of queer people and they're going to be like, holy shit. Yes. I belong here. And because I went to BYU and because <sighs> I was traumatized by other people and so I haven't really engaged with other people and so I haven't really been parts of any other groups, I haven't had that in the way that like... People who go to college and they join a gay student union might. But I had it in that room where yes. I, I sat there and I listened to Andrea Gibson talk about their experiences and even the ones that I hadn't had or whatever, like it all just resonated with me and all the other people in the room, it just resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And so I would just, I, I was feeling really pumped up about it. And so I spoke to my brother on the drive home and I had also just come out as bisexual semi recently before this because I left Mormonism and came out in like fairly quick succession. So I told him, I was like, I just had this really great experience. I saw this poet. It felt like truth to me, which after you leave Mormonism, you're just so hungry Holy for shit. anything that even approaches capital T truth yes. and guidance and everything, you know, because you're complete, you are starved of the thing that you have literally molded an entire existence around. Yeah. 
And that feels very uncomfortable and empty. Yeah. And so I was trying to explain that to him, that I felt like I had found... It, it was the first thing that I had heard that sounded like truth in a really long time. That's that's kind of how I explained it. And um, especially since I'd recently come out as bisexual, and I said I identified as being bisexual. And my brother was like, well, I just think it's interesting that you say that because I don't really identify as being anything but a son of God. Even though I hadn't been involved in the church for a while, right? And it really it put me back on my heels. Like it, it like knocked me backwards out of that like forward momentum that I had in that moment Yeah. because it made me feel bad and ashamed that I was identifying as this identity that seemed frivolous to me, even though I was no longer Mormon. It, my brother put it back in a category where it felt frivolous. It felt wasteful and self-indulgent. That is very harmful when you're trying to figure out who you are or find some kind of community or find some kind of connection to other people or to find some kind of reason to explain yourself to yourself well, so and that you don't just have to be lost. Amen. Because especially when you are living in a heteronormative culture and you are literally trying to convince yourself, like right before you came out as bisexual, were all those moments where you were literally trying to convince yourself that you were straight Mm -hmm. and that's you know what I mean and that's insane and that's insane because you are not no like I'm not bisexual either you're not bisexual at least that was but that that was movement yeah right yeah but like for queer people who grow up in Mormonism like you are living the answer to the question of what is my identity is given to you you are a heterosexual cisgender mm-hmm. man or woman mm-hmm. that's it and that's it who is basically existing for the purpose of perpetuating this cycle of hashtag cult life forever mm-hmm. and ever and ever amen mm-hmm. and so anything different from that you are gaslighting yourself constantly until the moment that you come out. Yeah. And even after you come out and for years later, like my brain still does this thing. Like I yeah. came out as queer over 10 years ago. I didn't come out as a lesbian until the last year, but like 10 years is a long fucking time to go through a lot of different stages. And at basically every stage up until and including this current day, mm-hmm. I will still feel guilt Mm-hmm. about some kind of like that moment that you described when you feel like that moment of queer solidarity when you're mm-hmm. like yes this is my place these are my people yeah i can have that feeling by itself i also still have that feeling often accompanied with shame yeah and feeling like a shitty person yep and feeling like that's not who you really are Mm-mm. and you're ooh, posing it's not real ooh, yeah Ooh, is that a mind fuck yeah it is a mind fuck because you also know that you don't belong with the straights either. No. You know? So what are so, you? So what are you? And this is another way in which, like, I talked about carving myself out of myself. I really feel like I'm just now figuring out even basic characteristics of myself. Mm-hmm. I've always felt... You took, like, one of those cantaloupe scoopers, like, yeah. scrapers, and just, like, shh, Yeah. Just... Right. Just so took all that shit. I remember being so confused for my entire life up to and including the current day. When people ask for like, how would you describe yourself in five adjectives? I can tell you two of them that I would use because they're fallbacks. And one of them is I'm intelligent because I am. Mm-hmm. And that's... Facts or facts America. Facts or facts America. And also, I don't know that I would have known I was smart except for everyone always told me all the time because I'm really bad at telling how smart other people are. But whatever. So I know I'm smart. And the other thing that I would always list was some form of compassion passionate 
But in my case, at least, being compassionate is very much a choice. It is not necessarily, I, I don't know if it's inherent in me or not, because I valued it so highly that I practiced it so much that it's something that I naturally do. But also, as I'm becoming more comfortable with myself, feels foreign. Mm-hmm. It feels like work, you know? Mm-hmm. I. But other than that, I would seriously make up the other adjectives every time I had to describe myself. And it's only, like, recently that I'm starting to recognize myself as someone who is sarcastic Mm -hmm. or... Salty bitch. Yeah, salty. (laughs) Like, but funny, you know? Yes. Someone who just doesn't really like to tolerate idiocy in people Mm -hmm. and resents that. But even these kinds of, like, basic characteristics about oneself, I've learned recently that I am great at fucking learning. I can teach myself fucking anything and I can do it fast. True. This is not something I knew about myself because I didn't know that not everyone else was doing it all the fucking time. (laughs) So, you know, but it's only... It's amazing what living in a delusion slash cult will do to your sense of reality and your ability to evaluate anything. Yeah, but this is... I can only describe who I am semi-recently because... Mormonism and growing up with my family completely, it encouraged me to not be anything. That's what I try to describe to even myself a lot is I never really thought to myself, I'm an impulsive person, it turns out, but I never would have thought to myself, oh, I'm an impulsive person because I wasn't an impulsive person. I was a person who had the capacity to be perfect, who constantly made bad choices. So I'm just a bad person. Oh my God. Oh my God. Extreme same. Or I'm not a compulsive person. I'm just a person who sometimes gets really lost in my head and makes a whole bunch of weird choices instead of just choosing to be sane all the time. Right. You know, you can't be anything. No. You just have to be this like nameless meat blob who's doing Jesus things. Yes. Hashtag cult life. Hashtag cult life. We're making it a thing. We are. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Next up on the list is one that's near and dear to both of our hearts. Anxiety. Oh, I have that. Yeah, you do. You, you totes have anxiety. Anxiety and I are co's. Yeah. By co's, I mean in constant distress. Yeah. So like Me as a teenager, I conceived myself as a depressed person, and it turns out in retrospect that I also have, like, major anxiety. Oh, yes. And you conceived of yourself as an anxious person, and it turns out you also have major depression. Also, yes. (laughs) So I like that we came at this in, like, opposite directions. You know, the funny thing about both of those things, Uh they do tend to go together. They sure do. And neither of us are the exception. No, but we sure thought we were. neither are you, friend. (laughs) Neither are you. So the reason I put anxiety on this list is because... Enduring to the end has really high stakes, and so risks to this goal are literally everywhere. Oh my god. And they teach you that they're going to be everywhere, and they're probably going to get worse until the day you die, motherfucker. It's like Minesweeper. Yep. But really, though. Which was actually a game I loved as a child, but did really remind me of life. Because it felt very much like you're just constantly, you only have partial bits of information, Mm -hmm. and you're constantly trying to scout out... Um, scenarios, people, like, uh, life circumstances that fit certain prescribed, Mm -hmm. like, expectations from the church. And then, but be careful that you're not stepping into the wrong square because that person that you just went out on a date on, even though, like, they met all these other criteria, like, they're going to corner you and put their hand down your shirt and you're going to feel like, well, I let them do it. And so clearly I am just... 
I'm the person that has like one Satan angel yelling into my ear that some you really want somebody to touch your tit. So I guess now is the time. Yeah, no, friends, that's assault. That's assault. <laughs> that's assault. I'm laughing because otherwise it's too painful. But like, uh, I'm sorry. But that's but, yes. but that's what this is. Yeah, like you have to somehow be able to see like the three bombs steps are ahead. everywhere. Yeah, like. It could yeah. rain so many bad variables, so many, so many temptations, yeah. so many, oh God. And you have to be like, sometimes you can be let off the hook for those things, mm-hmm. but only if you've been literally perfect in the lead up. Right. And also if it's not one of my rules was it can't be exactly the same thing because yeah. then clearly you're not learning a lesson. Exactly. Because it, once you've repented of that thing, mm-hmm. which I mean, who really knows if they've totally repented or not. I was always worried that I Me thought too. that I had, but really God hadn't accepted it. But for some reason I was just too wicked to know. Yeah. And anyway, so then you're this, just like going about your the, life. Speaking of anxiety, like you yeah. can literally carve so many insane pathways of crazy magical thinking yeah. because Mormonism teaches you to be paranoid. Yeah, it does. It does because you can't ever quite know and you have to be like ever vigilant mm-hmm. and things that you didn't think were a big deal. It, you might have an insight like 10 years down the road that that was a big fucking deal. Right. And then, you know, because there's, there's, there's evil and then there's the appearance of evil and yeah. you better know the fucking difference and you better stay away from both. Yep. No matter how cool you want to be, Kelsey, no matter how cool you want to be. And I yeah. want to be really cool and fuck that shit. Yeah. I was evil. Yeah. You were evil. I was. You weren't evil. I wasn't. I'm you chaotic, neutral at most you are but like at most <laughs> at most at most oh my god the anxiety is real though it is and it really does feel like you you it's not even that you're just trying to be accountable for right now it's that you're not allowed for anything that you do right now to like snowball into something correct bad or sinful down the line and so that's a lot of pressure especially when you're like oh a child or a teenager mm-hmm. you know and you're or any person at any age, any in any life any developmental age. stage, it's not good for you. Or especially when your frontal lobe is goo. And so you can't always see what's coming, but you still feel like you're very, very on the hook for what's coming. Well, because at the age of eight is when you become accountable. Yeah. And that means that 100% of your actions you own. Yeah. And so despite the fact that you are in a developmental stage of constantly stepping on other people's toes, mm-hmm. because that's how you know, humanoid creatures learn as they test the boundaries and then their loving and supportive caregivers will help them find the boundaries and react appropriately. But that's not what happens in Mormonism because at the age of eight, you are perfectly accountable. So literally you need to understand the difference between right and wrong Mm -hmm. and you are now able to sin. Yeah. With a capital S, as yeah. in something that goes on your permanent record, and by that I mean your eternal permanent record, yeah. which relates exactly to the amount of time that you have to spend in spiritual suffering to yep. pay for your sins. Which, I mean, you want to talk dun, about... Dun, dun, dun. Oh, man. But you want to talk about anxiety. Like, to take it back to my mom and the imagery she gave us about after we died, where basically my mom's... I don't know if this is what my mom literally believes. She taught it to me as a literal thing. So let's just assume this is what she literally believes. Oh, metal Jesus? Um, yeah. Yes. So, metal Jesus. Metal <laughs> Jesus. So what Kelsey's referring to is my mom believed that during the atonement, when it said Jesus Christ bled from every pore, it meant every pore. And that the atonement didn't just, like, happen for a little while. It had to go on for hours, because there's been a lot of sins in this world. Like, I want so, you to picture, like, Ozzy Osbourne, but having <laughs> done bath salts. 
That, That's how I imagined it. That is Jesus, like, titty fucking Christ, yeah. bleeding from every pore. Every pore for Probably you. some creature half hanging out of his mouth. Yeah. And like his blood. Epic, just, just sticking his hair. Sticky, blood crusted dreads. Yeah. Stuck. And he to was his wearing, body. he was wearing like neutral covered clothing. Maybe, yeah. maybe white, but maybe so like bright a red tan, now. But like not even just bright red. It's that crusty brown. Yeah. You know? And it is stuck to his body. And it's fucking stuck to him. Yeah. And, and every, he moves with like the, the oh. fabric makes noise. God. Yeah, that's right. We're getting that's... into a real sensory experience Oof. now. Sorry, you guys didn't see it, but I had to get out some wiggles because that made me uncomfortable. Oh, that was so great. <laughs> So, along with that, my mom believed that because of that it happened with Metal Jesus, when we died, we were all going to go to heaven and wear white robes, but for every sin that you had, and like proportional to the size of the sin or whatever, you were going to have red splotches all over that robe. This is like period stains, but worse. But worse. And so if you showed up to your final judgment, first of all, you were just going to be walking around, and people were going to know, because they'd look at you and they'd be like, holy shit. But second of all, if you showed up to your judgment, and you even had like one speck of red on you, they were going to ask you to take the elevator down. My mom doesn't believe in the elevator. That's my personal character and everyone's gonna know can we talk about that some more oh my god like, everyone's gonna know your public like your public record is a public record yeah and public so record this remember that time that you were having that really weird sexual fantasy that involved i don't know neighbors family members yeah whatever whatever that's gonna show up that's gonna be there yeah those or people like, are gonna know whatever my mom also used to talk a lot about um it says in mormondy fucking mormon scriptures about your life being projected on a sea of glass and mm-hmm. my mom believes that that means that basically this is how I pictured it from how my mom talked about it we called it the great DVD of life it used to be the great videotape of life but they upgraded I mean and DVD is so it, it's 2001 old now. <laughs> I know now it's like the great streaming service of life or something the I great don't know. Netflix of life the great Netflix of life I don't know so basically this is how I pictured it like there's a great big stadium and the entire ground is just like this screen and you'll be told like okay show up at Thursday, at f- here's the list of screenings for today. First up, Carrie Dahl, followed by Kelsey Stencil, followed by whoever. And anyone who wants to come could be there. And they'd just show up for the screening, and it would go start to finish. There are no breaks for commentary. There are no holes for anything. So My like, palms are sweating. <laughs> all of that masturbating I did as a teenager, because right. masturbating, first that's, of all, is normal. But also, that's there. I also had trauma, which made it into, you know something else the way that trauma does that thing and so like that's gonna be there that's exciting you know literally I would sit and think a lot about it was it was very the Truman Show all the time where it's yes, just like I'm looking Truman for the Show. camera because eventually I know I'm gonna be watching this again everything depends on this moment but this moment is literally every moment I am so glad that you brought up that movie because that speaks to me on two different levels mm-hmm. both in the way that a lot of people see it as especially in the ex-Mormon community mm-hmm. as waking up from Mormonism and mm-hmm. being like holy shit this whole thing has been crafted and staged mm-hmm. and all of it's a lie and I need to move on mm-hmm. there's that but also this second part which you've mentioned which is having your actions constantly being filmed mm-hmm. and constantly being evaluated like I still to this day, despite the fact that I am an atheist, I do not believe in God or purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't even believe in the fucking Zodiac. I think yeah. it's all nonsense. I do too. I am just the grumpiest little lesbian skeptic <laughs> you ever did meet. And like, 
I still have paranoia, like that mm-hmm. feeling of panic that somebody is watching me do this thing and recording my actions that I will then be accountable for later. Yeah. Do you know what I do now to cope with this? Because I also still have this. I turn around to where I perceive that they might be watching from and I do a Jim Halper, like a... Like in the office like in the moment, office. you like stare at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Just in love. case it's real. Because if I love. have to show up to that movie, like if Eternal Suicide turns out mm. to be impossible, if this right. was all real, which by the way, it's not, but like... Just for the fun of it. Um, Just for the fun of it. Yes. (laughs) Just for the fun of it. If I have to be in that stadium watching, I might as well make myself chuckle and be like, this is fucking ridiculous though, right? (laughs) Right though, that moment of Carrie who stared into the camera of time, right though. (laughs) We get it. Yeah, these are the things I do to cope with the anxiety that continues. That's incredible. You know what? I'm going to try it. If I I recall that um, specific response in the moment, maybe it'll make me feel better because... Right now, I don't really have anything other than, like, we know it's all fake. We know it's all fake. We know it's all fake. Oh, man, that does not feel good. (laughs) No, try, like, looking into the camera, making, like, kind of a bewildered face with, like, half a smile and, like, raising and lowering one shoulder. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll do, like, my, the double gun. Yeah. Like, the pew, 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 double finger gun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that could be good. Pew, 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 pew. And then just, like, turn around and walk away. Okay. Sold. Yeah, Um, just in case. Then your bases are covered. I'm going to practice some coping ahead skills. <laughs> I'm going to visualize that a few fucking times. For you and the audience. Thanks, DBT. This is DBT talk. Kelsey <laughs> is currently on the wait list for a PTSD treatment program at she a DBT is. Institute and is currently taking skills classes. Yep. For two hours a week. Because my MSW, I did not focus on this and I cheated through that part of the class. Yes, that's right. You heard it here first. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, everyone. So. <laughs> pretty sure. I know the basics of DBT, but I certainly didn't know anything about it until I I started doing groups which were loosely based in DBT either. Mm. And I have a lot of psychology, social work knowledge. So, you know, the funny thing is I'm learning that I have a lot of the skills. Like I already do them because I learned part of them as part of my master's program, but Mm -hmm. like never in the context of DBT. Yeah. So that's really funny to me is like, I have these things, a lot of them that I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. It has a name. Can I brag on my It side? has? <laughs> Will you, Will you give, give it, it to me? me? <laughs> yes, through the veil. <laughs> like, well, through the veil. <laughs> Gross. Can we change exams? Yes. To, like, have this, like, insane pomp and circumstance. <laughs> so that you, like, you're literally, like, the question is, like, has it a name? And Yeah, go through the whole thing. The has whole it thing. an equation? Has it a formula? Yeah, has it a formula? <laughs> it has. Here we go. Volume. Has oh. it a formula? It has, depending on the shape. If we're talking about cylinders, that's pi r squared height. I'm dying. I'm dying. Let's make this happen. Spheres, four-thirds, pi r cubed. Stop showing off. I'm not showing off. I have tons of useless knowledge because I tutor math for two more weeks. Two Two more more weeks. weeks. Two Two more weeks. weeks. Anyways, so anxiety. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Check. Check. And then the last one I specifically put on the list is suicidal ideation because basically... This enduring idea can turn your life into hell and then also offering you no way out. The way that my current therapist, Anne, talks about suicide has actually helped me a lot to be less focused on suicidal ideation in my life Mm -hmm. and to also feel more cozy with the fact that I often have suicidal ideation in my brain because she talks about it, like, overtly as basically... An insurance policy as something that you keep in your back pocket, Mm -hmm. because if you really need to escape, then it's there and it's there Mm -hmm. and it can just be there if you need it to be there. But otherwise we don't really have to worry about it. It's just, 
that's what it is, right? And that's really helped me to conceive of this better. But that's also exactly what it is. Yeah. So if your life is bad enough, that's what the monkey brain does. Is it goes, we have to get out of here somewhere. There's no escape. We're we're going. You know? It's a natural it's a natural response to high levels of stress from which there's no perceived way out. Exactly though. But and that's exactly it. And yeah. any any person who has studied in the field of either like suicidology or in the mental health field will Mm -hmm. tell you that suicidal ideation is simply the human brain's response to intense emotional pain. Yeah. And that's fucking it. That's it. (laughs) That's it. If you have a certain amount of pain, you will have this thing. It's not actually because you're shitty in any way. And so it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense because you are experiencing such a degree of pain that your brain is saying, I'm out, I'm tapping out, I'm I'm done now, I'm I done. do not want to deal. And it's like the one true escape hatch because yeah. that's just what evolution gave us, friends. Yeah. Sorry about it. And your brain will go to other stuff if it has other stuff to go to. Sure. But if you get yourself into a situation where your only choice is to continue living the exact same miserable life that you're living right now forever and ever and ever, even though you cannot do it for one more fucking day, nope. then that's where your brain's going to go. Yep. And that's not okay. That's not healthy. No suicidal ideation yeah. is okay. Suicidal ideation. It's like lead poisoning. Yes. It's, it's just not okay. If it's, it's not there. good for you. Yeah. But, it's, but when we're saying it's not okay, we just mean like, you shouldn't have to fucking deal with that shit. Yeah. If you're in a position where you're having Not sustainable. Those, yeah. If you're, if you're having those thoughts, your situation is not okay. You need, yeah. Something needs to change because yeah. you are experiencing such intense levels of emotional turmoil and or pain uh psychological pain emotional pain whatever it is at a level that is high enough that your brain wants to completely shut down the system yeah it's not that you're a bad person for feeling it or that it's wrong to feel or anything it's just a brain's reaction but that means that there is something wrong with your situation there there are no acceptable situations that end in suicidal ideation like that's just not that's not a thing. Clearly you're not feeling safe, cozy, and or like life is worth living. Yeah. So something is going wrong. Something is not sustainable at the very least. Maybe like Mormonism. Yeah. Weird. Cult. Huh. Hashtag so cult life. It's almost as if trying to be perfect is fucking impossible and you will dig yourself into a miserable hellhole of suicidal ideation if you continue trying. You sure will. Wow. You sure will. I learned something. Cheers. Here we are. <laughs> teaching life truths. Life truths. Don't do what we did. We were raised in a cult. Yeah. So get out of Mormonism and don't try to endure to the end because it's bullshit. Uh, the end. The end. And scene. And scene. <laughs> well, Sister Carrie, I guess that means it's time for Club Fuck Packer. I am a monstrous lizard in a suit. Join my club, you dirty sinner. Friends, this week we would like to welcome to the club our new friend, Jessica. Thanks so much, Jessica. She actually donated five bucks to us via PayPal. Thanks, Jessica. And even though it's not through Patreon, I don't give a shit. You're still a member of the club. You're still going to get a fucking sticker. I'll send you a message when I'm a little less depressed, and we will get this ball rolling. It'll happen. Woo! It'll happen. Hooray. If you would like to become a member of Club Fuck Packer and have your name read aloud on the show like I did just now for Jessica... Please go to patreon.com forward slash Mormon history. Anyone who pledges a dollar or more per month will get to join the club. That's right. Fan-fucking-tastic. It's amazing. Also, PayPal. That's on the website. Yep. Do it. Do it. Do it. It's good for you. Do it. Do it. Final announcements. You can find links to our Facebook group, our Twitter account. Uh, sometimes we put up links to articles and shit on our website. No man knows myherstory.com. Also do that thing. Do it. 
We're just, we're in this mood. Do it, do it, do it. We would like to say thank you so much for anyone who has rated and reviewed our show in iTunes. We really do appreciate that. Like super, super, super. Uh, For those who can't support the show financially, this is a really great way for word to get out of the show via some kind of magical internet bullshit. Mm -hmm. I don't understand it, but uh, Google tells me it's a thing. It's helpful. Please do that. We would like to give a shout out to our listener user convinced 22 who wrote the following review titled, I Feel Healthy. Well, that's good. I like that start. Yeah, it's great. Okay, Convince22 writes, You are saying what I've been saying to myself, and now I believe it. That's great. Honey Bunny. Sometimes you have to listen to other people say the shit you're saying to yourself. But, like, that's... When I read that, I was like, oh, that's so real, though. I feel that. But, like, trust yourself. Yeah. You knew. You deserve it. You and, deserve to And we said it, but you already knew. Yeah. You already knew all this cult nonsense bullshit. That's right. Good for you. It was in there. It was in there. Okay, Sister Carrie, I believe I have this week's closing thought. You sure do. This comes to us from something I saw on Instagram, because thanks to the internet, I spent a lot of my time gazing at the memes. Yep. Oh, I love it. And this is a quote from Bert Hellinger. The so-called black sheep of the family are, in fact, seekers of liberation roads for the family tree. Those members of the tree who do not adapt to the rules or traditions of the family system, those who are constantly seeking to revolutionize beliefs, going in contrast to roads marked by family traditions, those criticized, tried, and even rejected, those, by general, they are called to release the tree of repetitive stories that frustrate entire generations. The black sheep, those who do not adapt, those who scream rebel, repair, detoxify, and create a new and blooming branch, countless unfulfilled desires, unfulfilled dreams, frustrated talents of our ancestors manifest themselves in their rebellion looking to take place. The family tree by inertia will want to continue to maintain the castrating and toxic course of its trunk, which makes its task difficult and conflicting. That no one makes you doubt. Take care of your rarity as the most precious flower of your tree. You are the dream of all your ancestors. I especially love that last line. It's so good. Yeah. I love all of that. It was great. I saw that and I was like, oh my God, that speaks to me. Black sheep iconography really works for me for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I loved that. Yep. Amen. Amen. Sister Carrie, do you have any trite life advice for our listeners? I sure do. Eat, sleep, go for a walk, do the basic shit. No, really. And don't join any cults. Eat, sleep. And be merry, for tomorrow we die. And it shall be well with us. And if it so be that we are guilty, God will beat us with his three stripes. And at last we shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Yes, I can sing the scripture masteries to this day. Oh, hail Satan. Hail Satan.